Top Hill Recording Podcast, episode 171. Tonight's guest, Nick Teal. The bar's almost closed and they're driving home While you're driving one last screw And mine is the shoulder you're crying on about the hell he put you through And there's a hole in mama's heart Through which the liquor flows You're begging me to patch it up But that won't fix your woes When you're worn and weary Torn and teary Feeling that it's all in vain I can't be your man But I'll hold your hand Till you sober up again When life's cold and steely, hold on near me, I won't let you be alone. I can't take you all the way, but I can drive you home. Breath when we kiss smells of Jack and Coke Just like my mother used to make I swear I won't judge for the path you chose It's just more than I can take So let's settle up your tab I'll help you through the door Though I could give you what you want We both know you need more When you're worn and weary, torn and teary, feeling that it's all in vain. I can't be your man, but I'll hold your hand till you sober up again. When life's cold and steely, hold on near me, I won't let you be alone. I can't take you all the way, but I can drive you home. Obligations, expectations breed contempt. They'll just weigh you down So let me be your friend Now it's a hard road we're driving down But we made it through all right So open your eyes and I'll dry them now Hope you get some sleep tonight And you can call me when you need Know that my word is true You'll find someone to give you love I hope that person's you When you're worn and weary Torn and teary Feeling that it's all in vain I can't be your man, but I'll hold your hand Till you sober up again When life's cold and steely, hold on near me I won't let you be alone I can't take you all the way But I can drive you home Welcome to Top Hill Recording Podcast. 
Awesome. Thank y'all so much. Great to be here. Yeah. Glad you're here. What's the name of that song? <laughs> uh, that song is called Drive You Home. Okay. And it's actually about one of my friends in the Louisville music scene. And uh, yeah, it was... Uh, I've I've actually had some of those melodies kicking around in my head since I was like in grade school and I was just now getting to get them out into a song. Uh so I was really proud of that one. I'm glad y'all enjoyed it. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Is it a new song? Uh yeah, that's probably the I'd say it's the newest one that I've written. I'm hoping I'll hoping to get it to, into the recording studio soon. Nice. Okay. Cool. Ah, we got a uh like a fresh one. <laughs> All right. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Yep. So tell us, uh, Nick, we usually start, we're going to ask you to go back to childhood and tell us about your earliest memories of music and at what point, if there's something that stands out, did you realize music was going to be a big part of your life? All right, yeah. So, I mean, growing up, I was surrounded by a lot of incredible music. Mom was a huge Beatles fan. She played all their uh, CDs on repeat. Uh, dad had uh, Dad had a lot of eclectic musical influences all across the spectrum he got me into Handel's messiah he got me into pat Metheny, the jazz guitarist yeah. and he was also a huge fan of the clash so you know <laughs> you've got classical jazz and punk all right there <laughs> nice yeah. um yeah and uh so that's actually my uh by my adoptive family i am adopted but i do keep in touch with my biological family and they are also uh, really big into music. I've got uh, some songwriters in that family. Uh, my uncle actually teaches bass at U of L. Oh, cool! Uh, so yeah, those are. Uh, I I got into a lot of classic rock when I was really young. I remember being heavily into Led Zeppelin, also largely through my dad. And growing up, I started realizing, you know. I want to pursue this further. Mom asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I said, I wanted to be a rock star. And, you know, she wasn't trying to destroy the dream or anything, but she did say, you know, a lot of times people will have second careers before that happens. <laughs> what do you want yours to be? It's a smart mom. Yeah, <laughs> definitely smart. Smart mom. And, uh, yeah. So I found out I'm good with foreign languages. I got uh, went to school for that, got a job as a linguist, and that's been oh, paying really? the bills for the music. Yeah. That's awesome. How many languages do you speak? With any degree of fluency, it would be English, Spanish, Arabic, Persian, Turkish, and Russian. Oh, my God. <laughs> and then there are like some dialects in there and such. That is impressive. That's man. amazing. Wow. So is it true after you learn one or your second language, the others come a little easier? They definitely come a little easier, especially if you're learning, uh, I want to say related languages. Funny enough, Arabic, Persian, and Turkish are not actually related to each other, even though they're in, very sim in the same region, essentially. But they do have a lot of loan words that they picked up from, uh, ultimately it would have been from Arabic. A lot of times it would have been filtered through Persian. And then it would make its way into other languages. So you do end up getting a similar vocabulary, similar to how you listen to any of the romance languages. Uh, there might be some, there might be a lot of words that aren't familiar to a non-native speaker, but but you can probably guess what the word conversación means in Spanish without knowing what it what it actually means. It means conversation. I was going to say that. Uh, yeah. Dang, I was, was going to get ready to say 
So how did how did it uh, come about that you uh, maintained or regained a, a relationship with your biological parents? So I've had that relation. Um, I mean, ever since I was young. I mean, it wasn't okay. a situation where they wanted to cut ties or anything. Basically, my uh, my parents and my, my my adoptive and biological families were very good friends. Uh, my adoptive family was having trouble conceiving, and my biological uh, mom didn't feel ready to have a kid. So uh, that's what ended up happening there. Oh, okay. cool. That's pretty cool. That yes. is awesome. I listened to your... Uh, Music wise, riding around town today that you have on Spotify, and and man, it's uh, if anybody asked me what genre Nick Till would fit in, I I wouldn't even be able to even begin to guess. The first song's rap. <laughs> yeah, first. <laughs> yeah. Now that was a Solomon's Solomon's verse. Is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, tell us a little bit about how you you know have such a a variety of sounds. And... Well, yeah, absolutely. So. I mean, like I said, Dad got me into like Pat Metheny, Handel, and The Clash, so that's some wildly diverse stuff right there. But yeah, yeah. so I did grow up on uh, classic rock. That was what I mainly got into in high school. But then I also, when I went to Center College, I got into their bluegrass ensemble. I sang some uh, operatic stuff with Handel's Messiah. Um. <laughs> And then when I was in grad school, I, I went to UT Austin for Middle Eastern studies, and I ended up joining their Middle Eastern ensemble and getting really uh, a lot closer into that. So, uh, so when I did the Solomon's verse, it was heavily influenced by a lot of what I did in Barraquette. Okay, it's a cool song. Thank you very much. <laughs> it really is. But, but yeah, no, I feel you. I have. I'm still trying to figure out what genre I even am. Well, I looked at, I read a little bit up on the bio and it talked about the, your, you know, how you bend genres and you don't necessarily feel like you have to uh, label yourself as one thing or the other, we which don't is like good. Genres anyway, do we? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm for uh, <laughs> having a bunch of different sounds. I think it makes it more interesting and, um, and you definitely nailed that. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And it's like, uh, on one hand, it does it does make for a difficult situation when you're trying to get your m music marketed because a lot of places are going to want things that are strictly adhering to one particular mm -hmm. form or genre. But on the other hand, it's like, if I can use these different styles to communicate something new or different, I feel like that's ultimately what I'm trying to go for. Mm -hmm. I mean, more and more I'm realizing that music is essentially about communication like what are you trying to get across to people and i think some genres are uh better at communicating certain things than others mm. if i if i were trying to write a song about i don't know police brutality for instance i would go to punk or rap before i ever went to smooth jazz yeah makes more <laughs> sense it comes across more forceful and right. meaningful yeah speaking of blue Police brutality today is Breonna Taylor's 30th birthday. Would have been. Uh, just to throw that in there. Happy yeah. birthday, Dad. <laughs> hey, my dad's here. Did we say that yet? No, no, no we man. got Rick in the house. And it's uh, his my birthday. birthday. Yeah. yeah. Happy birthday. <laughs> He's a little bit over 30. <laughs> so in, uh, in Solomon's, Solomon's verse, I remember you talking in there about being six foot four. 
<laughs> and then you walked. And then you walked in. He's out. Yeah, his head is definitely out of the camera. You're obviously six feet four. But another thing you talked about in that song openly was being autistic. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So that's been a big part of my life growing up, and it's been a huge part of my musical influence. I think because I've been. I think it's also part of what has caused me to define myself as sort of a musical outsider, uh, someone who wants to do all these different genres. Because it's like growing up, I never really identified with. I mean, I say I didn't identify with what was on the radio. It took me a long time to realize that may not have been the case. Like, I grew up thinking that I hated like hip hop and pop and all those mainstream genres. More and more, more and more, I'm realizing that what I really hated was those pep rallies I was forced to go to as a kid, <laughs> which were always soundtracked by that kind of thing. And, yeah. and, and not just any hip hop either, like ringtone rap, which a lot of people, I mean, uh, ev even now, uh, there's mixed reception to that. Ringtone rap. I love that. <laughs> I wrote that down. I love that so much. Yeah. <laughs> so you have that playing another song for us. You have another one for us? Absolutely. So uh, I know uh, I'm, I'm really sorry I didn't end up bringing the kazoo. I know y'all were <laughs> interested in that one. And by the way, uh, I do have the bumper stickers. I'll have to give y'all those as well. Hell yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Are you that's ready to do that one, man? Oh, yeah. oh that's excellent. Oh, that's awesome. yeah. But uh, <laughs> definitely well, want that. that. Yeah. Heck yeah. yeah. The, the new, I love it. The next song I'm going to do is I actually consider this one a uh, prequel to Rectangles. Uh, it's from a time in my childhood when I uh, wasn't, uh, when I didn't mind material things too much, and I had to realize, you know, maybe that's not the best path. Okay. Uh, this song is called "Big Screen TV." Right <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, my mama found a new man with a big screen TV, and when I'd get home after school, that's all I'd wanna see. He'd walk in and greet me, he'd say, have a Coke there, Jack. It was only diet, he kept the good stuff in the back. He said, I got 900 channels on this big old plasma screen. You can turn on any show you want, don't worry about a thing. And I found myself a-thinking, just how bad could this guy be? If he was gonna let me share his big screen TV Well, my mama found it troubling that my grades were getting low And though she tried her best to guide me, her control was too remote She was working in the daytime and he kept her out at night With a shiny brand new sports car and his favorite color white she said, I don't want you sitting by that big old plasma screen. But I had the volume up so loud I couldn't hear her scream. Plus he made sure my mama's eyes were too black to see. And mine were always blinded by that big screen TV. Well, they were black and white and red all over just like the evening news. But the only fights I ever saw were the ones in my cartoons. Well, my mama found him lying like a victim of true crime. 
And not even House or Billy Graham could rescue him this time. His life was dust, Lord, and to dust he did return. Well, I don't think it's the last time that man is gonna burn. <laughs> I should have done some self-reflection on that big old plasma screen. But they came and repossessed it, trying to make his ledger clean. They stripped the whole damn house till there was nothing left to see. No more fancy sports car, no more big screen TV. Well, these days all I need in life, my friends and family. Don't want no fancy sports car, no more big screen TV. Yeah, man. That was awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, cool. So, Nick, what was, uh, when, when did you first really get into playing guitar? So, uh, my dad got me a guitar when I was uh, in, I think, elementary school, like 11 or 12. I didn't really start taking it seriously until I was 15. I ended up taking uh, uh, guitar lessons in high school. And, of course, I was really into Led Zeppelin and all that. I wanted to learn rock and roll. Uh, my teacher was a jazz guy, and I ended up getting into a lot more fingerstyle stuff. Uh, wasn't the last time that happened either. It happened for voice as well. I tried to learn how to sing more contemporary styles of voice, and the teacher I found in Austin got me into Kurt Elling, and my life has not been the same since, <laughs> much to my dad's chagrin, because he thinks Kurt Elling is music only a musician could appreciate. <laughs> but yeah, so guitar... I mean, I, I was kind of doing it off, on and off through uh, college and grad school. Once the pandemic hit, I started thinking, you know, this is something I should... I mean, I don't know what's going to happen with my job, if I'm going to find anything during this pandemic, because I just left the one I had in Austin. And yeah, I, I'm thinking, you know what? This seems a, as good a time as any to pick the guitar back up and see if I can uh, kick the dust off it a bit. And uh, about three years later, it... Seems to have worked pretty well, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So how much time did you spend in Austin? Did you grow up here? And Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so uh, I grew up uh, born and raised in Louisville. Ended up going to uh, college in, at Center in Danville. Okay. Uh, grad school, I ended up going to UT Austin. Okay. That was t- for two years. And then after I graduated that, I ended up... Uh, working in Austin for about a year because uh, that was one of the places where they needed people who speak Turkish. Mm, really? Uh, yeah. So I ended up working contract to uh, on Apple Maps. <laughs> really? Uh, so what did your job entail on like a daily basis? What were you doing? Well, initially I was going through the uh, Turkish language features to make sure that things were up to date and to make sure things were uh routing people to the right places uh they they eventually uh transitioned me off of that to uh some jobs that i felt really didn't use my skill set so like i left after a year um i joke that you know woe is me i left just in time for the pandemic to hit but (laughs) if i'm being honest i'm glad i was doing the pandemic with my friends and family and uh not in texas man no kidding so you came by. Uh, so you were here when the pandemic, all that started going on. I was, yeah. I'd okay, actually, perfect. I'd actually just gotten 
another interview with another job and you know that ended up going on indefinite hiatus because of the pandemic and eventually they just uh they just forgot about it anyway (laughs) is what it is yeah so we know you uh Speak however many languages, and I'd say you. Six. you, you we got he, six easy. Yeah, when he introduced it, he said somewhat fluently. I, I, I bet you're pretty fluent if you're uh, figuring out Turkish text for Apple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't I, let me do the English version of that. No, <laughs> <laughs> take a right up here. <laughs> hey. I said right, <laughs> right, <laughs> not right. <laughs> so we know you play guitar, and we know you play kazoo. What else is in here? Uh, so I I know you heard Solomon's verse. I'm actually playing oud on that. So that's like a Middle Eastern lute instrument. That's yeah. I mean really beautiful. I actually uh, you have a profile picture with that instrument, don't you? Uh, so that instrument, I think the one you're thinking of is a Turkish instrument called a saz. Okay. Get your instrument straight now. Nah, man. Man, I, <laughs> I totally understand. It's like come on by it. You gotta know your sizes. That's it, turn right. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel you, man. It's like I've I, I've had some of these instruments called like a lute or a bazooki or all sorts of different things. Like I, I remember when my saws got stolen out of my car. Oh, you know, no. we were we were my dad was scouring Craigslist for like uh, saws, sitar, bazooki because it's like. They're not going to have any clue what it even is. Like, what keywords are we going to use? No kidding. <laughs> did you ever get it back? Mm, nope. Uh, uh, did you have to travel back in time to get another one? <laughs> I, I was able to find... Uh, there's a there's a website called Sala Music that uh, has some awesome the corner instruments on, the on market. there. They got the corner on that market, don't they? <laughs> Probably, if I, <laughs> I had to guess. At, at least if you're... In the United States, I mean, I, I guess I could have gone back to Azerbaijan and gotten another one, but I mean, I, I mean, especially with COVID, yeah, I, it actually, seems like a lot. How do you, how do you go about learning to play an instrument like that? So just play it, man. Yes, <laughs> I mean, partially with with the oud. Uh, so as part of the uh, Middle Eastern studies that I did. I ended up getting some uh, fellowships to go abroad. Uh, when I was in Jordan, I ended up learning oud from a fellow there. Uh, and I also learned it from a fellow in Lexington named George Wakim, who actually made the one that I have. Mm. Uh, so Neil never understands when I ask questions like that because you know doesn't it piss you off, Brent? Like just, like, <laughs> just pick it up and play it. Yeah, yeah, like, you got a special ability, man. You just play it. <laughs> All right, then tune it like a guitar and play it like that. <laughs> but yeah, it's um, so with so that's with the oud, and then when I was in Barraquette Ensemble, I did play oud, and I learned how to do it a bit more than I. A what ensemble? Barraquette. Uh, yeah, so Barraquette, uh, Middle Eastern Ensemble. That's uh, UT Austin's Middle Eastern Ensemble, and so I I did a lot more with the oud. I sang a few songs. That was really cool, and then. There was a guy, there was a, a doctoral student there, or I guess he was going for his master's at the time. His name was Alex Krieger, and he taught people how to play the saws because uh, he'd been researching a lot of uh, the Alevi communities in Turkey, and the saws features very heavily in a lot of their ceremonies. It's amazing. So this mm-hmm. is just an interest you developed 
at a young age and just continued to pursue? More or less, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I, I learned a lot of the traditional music on the Saz, but I also found out that it's really well suited to like Zeppelin and Soundgarden and <laughs> a lot of that. Yeah. So That's does, does, yeah. does learning, uh, does it translate that learning the languages also gets you immersed in the culture enough to become interested in the music and listen to what you're hearing and then kind of seek that out, especially like when you went on that trip? Oh, definitely. I mean, when I was uh, learning a lot of these uh, songs, I mean, Middle Eastern Ensemble, we did a whole lot of different music from all across the region, and it was cool to get to know a lot more of these cultures. Uh, I got into some more uh, popular types of music. Barish Mancho is this really awesome, like, Turkish rock guy from the 70s. Who, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so I he's become one of my favorite artists. And then there's this other guy. Uh, when I was in Azerbaijan, one of my... Uh, I had a Russian teacher there who was recommending me to watch this movie called Moscow Doesn't Believe in Tears. And it opens with this song called Alexandra that I just instantly fell in love with. But I haven't I still haven't seen the movie all the way through. But the <laughs> you, song you got stuck is, on the song. Huh? Yeah, more or less. <laughs> that is it's interesting. <laughs> so it also it also makes sense why you don't stick to a genre because I would imagine hearing another song uh, from a, from another culture in a language that's foreign to everybody, but you understand it. You understand not only what's going on musically, but the lyrics, even if it's a rock song in another language, can it really be the same as a rock song? You know, there's, there's gotta be cultural differences that make it interesting to your ear that's just different that you're able to hear and understand and interpret and and, and put into a different context than most, I would assume. And then as a writer, I would imagine that would be hard to keep all of that influence and the different cultures and the overlap out of your songwriting. Uh, I was really going to ask, start that question. It's just about songwriting and your process of songwriting, but um, when you got into that a little bit, it just made me think that that yeah. would have to be wild to be able to hear six, five or six different musical languages and understand it and be able to incorporate all that into whatever you decide to do. Yeah, and it's like huh. <clears throat> one of the things I've been working on doing is figuring out a way to incorporate some of these influences in a way that, you know, engages listeners in... Kentucky, for instance, I think that uh, I ended up doing a really good job on, of that on Solomon's verse, for instance, because, you know, I admittedly, I'm not the first person in hip hop to uh, put Middle Eastern beats behind things. I mean, a lot of people have been doing that for a while, but I feel like, well, for one thing, that means there's precedent and I can incorporate more of those Middle Eastern influences into some of the music by uh, leaning into rap, for instance. Uh, but then again, uh, there are some songs on uh, on my EP, for instance, where, and, and I'm, I'm sure it, um, some of the songs, I think that they really work on the saws, because I have my single off of that EP is called Love Was, and I pretty much play that on saws. 
And I, I think that worked really well. I think there are also some songs on there. Like I have another song called cross and it's like, I was trying to add some saws in there, uh, partially to get, uh, some of the Turkish microtones in there, but it's like, it felt more like a gimmick than anything else. And these days I just play that song on a guitar instead of the saws. I know yeah. what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. Looking up what a saws is? No, I'm going to be oh. listening to Nick Teal again now that I know the story. <laughs> I, I want to do that too. Yeah. And I, I, along, <laughs> along those lines of, you know, talking about music from all these different cultures, I guess in a way, I've thought about this, is is music somewhat of a universal language because I'm kind of in the process of learning, relearning some Spanish and listening to a lot of different types of music from, uh, you know, different cultures and I Does your girlfriend have anything to do with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe so. Uh, yeah, so a lot of music from Colombia and South America, and and some of the music I listen to, I really like, and I relate to it, even though I don't completely understand the lyrics at this point. But I, the the emotion, I guess, conveys the emotion and the feeling. So I'm wondering if some of that transcends even the language. Um, and then maybe to get technical, this is maybe a general statement, but I think a lot of American music especially rock and roll is four, four timing. You probably get way different time signatures and other probably like middle Eastern music. I don't know a lot about it, but you, you're not hitting on the one, two, the three and the four. You're probably getting off beats and different time signatures and things like that. Probably more that accents than uh, it's probably still four, four, but more accented in different spots. Well, uh, especially Turkish music in the Alevi tradition, which I ended up learning a lot of, it does use a lot of those uh, time signatures. Like one of the ones that I, when I play saws in some of my sets, one of the songs I do is, uh, it's this old Alevi hymn called Hizmet Edelim Garche, which is, uh, let us be in service of the truth. And so that one's in 7-8, so it's like... So yeah, it does use a lot of those different time signatures. Cool. I understood Mohammed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got one word in that. <laughs> hey, man. That's pretty Speaking good. Speaking of Mohammed, another thing I noticed in listening to your songs today, uh, a lot of them have like a, uh, uh, maybe not a Christian theme, but uh, biblical. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I've been kind of... Uh, that that's something that I've been exploring a lot more uh, lately. Because, uh, well, well, there are a lot of reasons. I've had a lot of the uh, more religious inspired songs floating around in my head, uh, and there was a part of me that uh, wasn't sure if that was something that uh, people would want to hear. Because I, I do feel like there tends to be somewhat of a stigma with uh, a lot of Christian music these days, and I. I would argue maybe not so much because it's Christian, but because it's, you know, radio music that might be somewhat simplified and it might have a bad reputation for that reason. But uh, I I actually was heavily uh, influenced to get more into it, partially because of uh, one of uh, my producer, 
Austin Talbert of Manic Method, which was a Louisville band around the mid 2010s. And, you know, he, he produced my first EP love was we, we actually go back to high school as well. Oh, cool. Uh, he was really heavy into the Louisville metal scene. Um, right around the time, like right after we finished my first album, uh, he ended up becoming, uh, very intensely, uh, focused on living a Christian lifestyle. And it, it was really interesting to me because it was like, you know, here I, I'm thinking this is an awesome chance to, uh, record some of these songs and see where it goes. Cause I've, I have a lot of these ideas coming out and I've been worried how they're going to be received, but turns out they've been uh a lot of people have really enjoyed them solomon's verse is actually one of my it's i i hesitate to say it's my least representative track considering how uh broad my catalog ends up going but it's like (laughs) i never thought that was the one that was gonna be the most popular on a lot of these social media stuff uh but there is that um ain't holy yet is uh sort of leaning more country uh, and I've got some songs like don't let them take the temple. I forgive you. That was one where I, I mean, it does touch on some Christian themes, but I wanted to write it in a way that, uh, cause I mean, I know one of the big criticisms is that people feel like they're being hit on the head with, uh, you know, how great Jesus is. And as a, one of the things I wanted to challenge myself to do is to write something that, you know, it has that Christian message, but it can cross over. It's not necessarily doing, or it's not necessarily presenting it in a way that might be alienating it to people. I mean, whether or not you think that's a fair way to, uh, whether or not, you, whether or not you think that's a fair way to judge a uh, certain, uh, Christian music, I feel like people do. And, I feel like there's a way to strike that middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the kind of underlying. There's there's a few musicians. Uh, ben is one I can think of. Ben Bernhard that, uh, that's been in that um, has a lot of that. That It's not necessarily a Christian or religious song, but it, the undertones lead you to go. I could be see it leaning either way. I can tell by the flip of a page, it's time for Weston's questions. <laughs> okay, absolutely. <laughs> All right. And always, we, we hit on this a little bit from conversation. You got to put big title right there, Weston's questions. All right, yeah. I'll do that later All when right. I can write it real neat. Yeah, fancy. you got to make it cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick, so tell us something non-musical that people would find interesting about you other than speaking several languages and all the stuff we've already talked about. I mean, about. we've already covered a ton of interesting <laughs> stuff, so new facts. <laughs> Something new. So, yeah, I mean, I guess... I So I've talked about how autism's been uh, an influence in my life musically. I guess I'm also... I guess I also think a lot about how it's impacted my interactions with music, not not just as, you know me playing music but also as an industry and i feel like it's been uh it's really changed the way that i or or it affects the way that i think about uh interacting with venue owners or a lot of uh that kind of thing because i feel like it does kind of make me an outsider in that regard because 
I'm very much someone who's about uh, direct communication and being straightforward with people. And sometimes I, I feel like a lot of people don't really think that way. And probably for good reason, if we're being honest. I know a lot of people aren't going to want that kind of communication mm-hmm. and they might feel really offended by that. So I love it, that kind of communication. Well, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's there's two lanes of it. There's the the you love that type of communication or you think you love that type of communication where it's like, was I good? Yeah, you're good. Was I good? No, you weren't good. Why'd you tell me that? Why did you just say I was good? Yeah, yeah, dude. But in this in the music industry is uh, and the bar management venue management space um it's i think sometimes it's tough to be you expect straightforwardness you expect hey you say one thing you plan you expect that's what you expect or you, you know you're performing a service you but it's 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 a weird weird space where sometimes it is just doesn't line up like that you know yeah and i mean uh, also music is a very vulnerable art form and it's understandable that a lot of musicians might not be uh might not be particularly receptive to criticism as a result of that and so i have to imagine it's like as a venue owner you're probably trying to juggle that and thinking about how to respond to someone i mean they would say diplomatically mm-hmm. I don't think it's diplomatic at all, but I'm very much in the minority on that. And I've been trying to reconcile that and not take that as personally. That's, I think, one of the most difficult things I've been dealing with. Things like when people are, people will find, people will find any way to avoid admitting that they don't want to book me because they don't think I'm going to draw a crowd. Mm. And, I, on one hand, it's like, do you think I don't know that? I feel like every musician on the planet knows that. Mm -hmm. But then again, it's like, there's this perception that if you're concerned about money at all, you're greedy, which I, I mean, I don't agree, especially during a global pandemic when everyone's bloody well concerned about money. But I do understand, I mean, I'm trying to understand more how that is going to affect how people think about uh, responding to booking requests. And that's one of, that's been one of the hardest things. It's like not feeling like, cause as an autistic person, I have grown up with people telling me that or accusing me of not paying attention uh, in certain cases when their communication has not been particularly great or treating me like I'm not smart enough to understand certain things. And sometimes it's like, I feel like that's what's going on when people try to dance around these topics, even though I know it's not, they're just, I mean, it's a difficult situation for everyone really. Yeah. But you would just prefer the straightforwardness. Hey, uh, no, you don't, um, you don't bring enough people or yes, let's give it a shot or the, yeah, the, uh, the it's, I, I hate booking. I'm very, very, I, I would rather never talk to anybody ever about any of that stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, and hope I get a gig. <laughs> I feel you on that one, yeah. <laughs> do you usually perform solo or do you play with a band? Or So, yeah, I 
pretty much always perform solo. I was briefly in a cover band called Jam Factory. Uh, of course, things ended up we we weren't we played one show at like a VFW in uh, New Albany. Uh, that that was really cool. I was able to sing a lot of the really high songs that they really enjoyed, and I was thrilled about that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so. Uh, of course, you know how it is. People have kids, people have jobs, and oh, it's yeah. difficult to get consistent practices. We, I mean, and then also the bassist and the drummer got assimilated into Skipping Stone, so uh, <laughs> that ended up kind of dissolving anyway. Okay. Yeah, there's nothing worse and more frustrating than band practice, I guess. <laughs> it's always three yeah. out of four, four out of five. It's four so hard to get people together. Yeah. Everybody's always missing something. Yeah. You're missing the drummer. <sighs> yeah, that's tough. Oh, yeah. We have, we're, <laughs> we're going to take a five month hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick. So tell us about a nightmare gig or something embarrassing that happened to you on stage. So I know one thing that happened that was really embarrassing was. Uh, I was at, I believe this was at Boomba's Highlands. I ended up having a patio show. Uh, the guy who was supposed to be running uh, sound got sick. He asked if I had uh, some back some equipment available, and I, I said I did, but I ended up leaving it at home by mistake. <laughs> and uh, one of my family members was there. He was very heavily involved in music, and he was trying to help me jury rig a microphone set up and and at that point i was kind of thinking you know i would rather just try to sing unamplified than to worry about spending a lot of time on this but he was he was really uh wanting to get this set up and i i did appreciate that he was trying to help it felt like he wasn't i mean it did kind of feel like he wasn't listening when i said you know what let's try to do this Unmiked because I've done that before, and oftentimes it works better. Um, that so, opera training comes uh-huh. in handy. Then. Yeah, so it. <laughs> I mean, it it does come in handy, but it's like it, it's a difficult situation because I know he. I don't want to seem ungrateful because I know he's trying to help, but it's like I'm going into this and I'm just going into this show kind of frustrated in general, and it's just never a good idea to. Uh, play when you're really frustrated because that comes out with the audience and you just you end up losing them I think they all went back inside and yeah that's something I've been trying to avoid in the future you know I've uh, that's happened to me so many times I don't even consider that a, a thing anymore it's like just give me a broom handle a guitar case <laughs> of Hanger and some duct tape. We'll figure it out. Uh, it's always something, isn't it? Yeah, but like you said, that's where the operatic training comes in handy. Because on the other end of that, uh, I actually just played a show on or at a festival on June 3rd uh, in Portland, the American Legion there. They invited me up for a second set to do some uh, songs. And during one of my songs, the power went out and I just had to keep on going. And thankfully, it was it was one of those songs where I was hitting one of those really high notes. And that's where the operatic training comes in handy because it's like, you know what? Let's just do Tenacious D on this. Let's go for it. <laughs> I do not need 
<laughs> a microphone. I've got one right here in front of me. <laughs> All right, finally, tell us about our. Tell- uh-huh. There's a fourth question now. Yeah, that one won't fit, though, because we'll, we'll ask anyway. He doesn't drink. Yeah. <laughs> we'll ask anyway. Maybe, maybe he has a favorite from the day. <laughs> All right. Who's the last local artist you listen to? Uh, last local artist I listened to would be Taylor Catherine, who's this incredible uh, local uh, singer-songwriter. Uh, she just released a single of hers called Sober Up that sounds awesome and yeah, she she kind of uh, plays a lot of music festivals. She'll actually be at uh, Z Bar with uh, Rio Romeo. I, I don't know if it's Rio Romeo or Rio Romeo and Bungalow Betty. Okay. Um. Uh. And that'll be June fifteenth. Uh. She'll also be at Limerick Lounge June thirteenth. And yeah, absolutely incredible voice, great songwriter. Uh. She does stuff on ukulele, and she kind of straddles the line between like uh americana country folk and uh some more soulful stuff like i know she does uh etta james at last in some of her sets and it sounds awesome (laughs) sweet check her out oh yeah our last question that neil was talking about luke trimble brought this one into the podcast and it's what's your favorite bourbon but you told us when you came in you don't drink so (laughs) yeah so nothing so what's your favorite drink uh, my favorite drink, I guess, uh, well, I've got this here. I've got, uh, basically some herbal tea in here. I usually go for <clears throat> some of the yogi stuff. I, I have some ginger, uh, ginger tea at home, some lavender honey tea, and I mix it with, uh, and I learned this from a vocal coach online by the name of Ken Tamplin. He recommends this special kind of honey called Manuka honey that is supposed to have some, uh, special antioxidants that help prevent inflammation oh, and that can be that's really helpful for vocalists in making sure that they're not stre- straining their voice too much i bet oh, it's really oh. cheap honey <laughs> 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 uh, yeah well i um <laughs> hey, you know you were talking to neil earlier brent one of you were talking about listening to music in another language and <clears throat> even if you don't know what it sounds like you know have you all ever seen the YouTube video of that? I think it's an Italian professor that does an American pop. Have you seen it, Nick? He does an American oh, pop tune. And the, from the 70s? Anything. Yeah. And he's, he's like, <laughs> street walk. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. just making up words. Yeah. 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 It's hilarious. I think I've seen it. Get yeah. back. <laughs> Shoes. <laughs> I got a bike. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't know what made me think of that. Yeah, that's hilarious. When you were saying that. <laughs> How about another song, Nick? Yeah, absolutely. So, what are you gonna play for us? Uh, I've actually got this song coming out as a single on August second. Oh, sweet! Okay. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people in the music scene, uh, I hear them say things like, "Oh, you don't drink, you don't do drugs, you don't smoke. You're such an angel." <laughs> uh, not really. I mean, basically, all that means is I've had angels watching over me my entire life, and. Not everyone has had that, and that's what this song is about. It's called Angel Wings. (laughs) 
someone by me a pair of angel wings to sail right over these cold and stormy seas feels like I'm drowning in an amber web of grain well I'm trying not to drink it but it's all that numbs the pain my friend above me he flies on angel wings his daddy bought them when he was just 18 when he looks down on me as I struggle just to swim he'll never understand the state that I'm in and I don't want no townhouse no Mercedes Benz just give me something to help me reach the end and I don't give a damn about material things but won't somebody buy me a pair of angel wings when I was younger I saw my daddy fly thought he had angel wings and I asked if I could try Well, he fell six miles and broke his smile into a toothless grin. He said, Sonny, I can't help you fly. You just fall down again. And I don't want no townhouse, no Mercedes Benz. Just give me something to make the cycle end. And I don't give a damn about material things but won't somebody buy me a pair of angel wings To help me reach the end And I don't give a damn about material things But won't somebody buy me a pair of angel wings I said, uh, won't somebody buy me
It was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it sounds just like Michael McDonald. I was like, get out of here. Nice, nice, <laughs> Not nice. just like it, that, that uh, vibe was perfect for that. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't suppose we'll have time for it today, but I actually wrote a song that's uh, very much a Steely Dan ripoff, so <laughs> any comparison to Michael McDonald is very much welcome. Thank oh, you. Oh, yeah, man. <laughs> Excellent. So our uh, listeners that want to follow you a little more closely, where can they find you? All right, so I'm uh, I am on Facebook under the name Nick Teal, uh, Nick Teal Music in the uh, URL header. Uh, I'm also on Instagram as Hard Rock Guru Three, or it'll just say Nick Teal. Uh, I've been working on updating my Spotify a bit, so I'm on there as Nick Teal. I've got a YouTube page that I'm on as Nicholas Teal. Uh, and then I'm also on a lot of these other sites, you know, uh, Google Play, Apple Music, Tidal, whatever the bloody hell a Deezer is. <laughs> awesome. Deal with an E on the end. Uh, yep, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we want to remind you, too, and we need to start doing this, Neil. If, if, you, uh, if you enjoy our podcast, make sure you follow us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Follow us on YouTube, One Shot. And if you like this hat, follow us on Instagram. Go get you a hat. Go yeah. get you a shirt. Go get you one of those. Come on, yep. man. It's the only way we know you're out there. That's right. All right, Nick, what are you going to take us out with, buddy? All right. So uh, there's this. I have this song that, uh, I mean, it's pretty much become my default go-to song for closing things out. Uh, the, um, if you've been listening to my album, you probably have heard Water Ski. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah great one. Oh, yeah, this is the one that I always have to close out open mic sets with. Uh, <laughs> oddly enough, not one of the ones that's done particularly well on Spotify, but, you know, it's it gets a reaction at the live shows, so here it is. All right. <laughs> You and me together on the shore Heading out to face the ocean's roar You can't understand why I love you still But every moment with you is a thrill You say you feel guilty stringing me along Long as we're happy, you know I don't see nothing wrong. So let me take a ride on your water ski, all alone on the ocean, baby, you and me. Darling, I'll hold on loosely, I'll follow you across the blue sea, never letting go till you tell me to. No telling what together you and I could do. Darling, I got to tell you from the day I saw you, I knew we were meant to be together, and that's how it's gotta be. So don't you let me take a ride on your water ski. Waves are gonna come and waves will go. Don't care if we take them fast or slow There's a lot of fish out there, it's true But not a single one compares to you 
You say you don't know which way these waters run. Well, I don't either. You know, I say that's half the fun. So let me take a ride on your water ski. Don't care about the tides, cause we're wild and free. Darling, I'll hold on loosely. A day's gonna come when you'll see. We can brave the stormy weather, and I'll give you all of me. So don't you let me take a ride on your water ski. We'll leave all our problems, I'll give you my solemn vow. Don't want to control you, I just want to show you how. We're riding with dolphins and nothing can stop us now. Some other man rides out with you someday My heart will keep the thrills we had along the way So let me take a ride on your water ski Don't care about the tides cause we're wild and free Darling I'll hold on loosely A day is gonna come when you'll see We can brave the stormy weather And I'll give you all of me so don't you let me take a ride Won't you let me take a ride Never let it go till you tell me to No telling what together you and I could do Darling, I got to tell you From the day I saw you, I knew We were meant to be together And that's how it's gotta be So don't you let me take a ride On your water ski